at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Unpeeling Syracuse Basketball, part of the Troy Noons' is an Absolute Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dylan Feiner, and today I am joined by my co-host, Bobby Manning. We will be breaking down the week in Syracuse basketball, and without further ado, let's talk orange. What is up, everyone? We are recording an episode of Unpeeling Syracuse Basketball. As you guys already know, uh, we're here for NoonsMagician.com. I'm Dylan. I'm here with my co-host. I'm Bobby. I'm here with my co-host, Bobby. What's up, Bobby? Hey, good to be here on a Sunday. We'll be hearing this on Monday, and Syracuse is still in the top five of the ACC, believe it or not. Yeah, 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 yeah. We stick in there, uh, you know, following the win against Boston College. But a pretty slow week, uh, if you ask me. Um, yeah, really sloppy, sloppy basketball. Sloppy, boring. Uh, two games that weren't that entertaining. Uh, and I'll, I'll disagree on the Florida State one. That one was a lot of fun, as crazy as it was. Those runs were phenomenal to watch. Yeah, you know what? The Florida State game was the first game that I was at all season. So after Florida State jumped out to that lead early on, I was like, man, I I should probably just go home. <laughs> you know, I'll see myself out. Yeah, <laughs> and so did you. No, I, I stayed. Oh, uh, all right, that had, sad. <laughs> I had to stay. It was, you're right, it was entertaining, especially to close the first half. Uh, yeah. We were obviously like trying to pull back. We can talk more about that later. Pull, try to pull back after the early huge deficit, um, and then I, I ended up at the Boston College game too. And you were there too with your family. Yeah, I was up in the balcony, a different view than I'm used to, but still good. I I, was, I had a nice angle with the bench because I was in the corner of the balcony there, so I could see everything Bayheim was doing. A few weird Bayheim man- mannerisms in the game, and we'll talk about uh, his interaction with the fans later on. But one thing I want to point out leading off the show is him and Frank Howard. I don't know if you saw this from the crowd. Him and Frank Howard had quite a long chat on the bench during the second half of the game, and they were smiling and laughing and you know, despite the struggles Howard's had lately and Bayheim's criticism of him, it was kind of an interesting moment. They were chatting away, and I don't think he talked about it in the press conference, but they had a very long chat on the bench. Nah, I missed that one, but that's a that's an interesting note. I, you know what I did catch, however, was uh, one timeout where Bayheim spent. Um, it must have been a, it was a full timeout and then a TV timeout, right? Uh, where the carryover happened, and Jim mm-hmm. Bayheim spent at least forty five seconds. Uh, in the ref's ear with no one talking to the team. Oh, and that happens again and again. It happened against Florida State when Bayheim called or Buddy Bayheim called the uh, erroneous timeout at 4:13. That was that game, right? Yeah. So 
he's he he will be more than happy to spend the time out unloading on the refs and you do wonder what's going on in the huddle in the backdrop of that another note when it comes to that i'll never forget one of my favorite Bayheim quotes of all time and it's it's so Bayheim. he was talking about how he used to not believe in timeouts he, he just didn't believe in them and he said that whenever they had a timeout they would just kind of stand there and stare off in the space and he his, his take is that players don't absorb anything after the first 10 seconds that they're talking so they would just stand there and rest <laughs> yeah right like I, th- I think he wrote about that or i mean he by he i mean jack mcmullen or uh if that's his name uh who co-wrote yeah. bleeding orange with him that, there was a note about that in that book right yeah and I, he mentioned it again afterward in uh one of the press conferences i believe but that's a great book i love that book to this day yeah for sure so quick uh quick news update on syracuse uh from this week um you had the ap voting uh, Syracuse unofficially uh, 33rd. That was coming into this week, uh, so nothing new is updated. You'll get the update tomorrow as you're probably listening to this. Um, yeah. You'll have seen where Syracuse landed. But Syracuse was unofficially 33rd, uh, so that means 8th out. And do you anticipate them being in the top 25? Oh, no, not after this week. No, yeah. because Syracuse went 2-0 and against Boston College and Pitt last week. Um, and didn't make a jump at all. Syracuse actually had three AP votes that week and three this week, or had three AP votes uh, the week prior and then three following it. So I can't imagine that it increases after a one-in-one week. Syracuse didn't prove anything. Don't see it. They're they're still in the 30s as far as NET, as far as Ken Palm, as far as everything goes. They're still a top 40 team. So top 25 isn't in the cards yet, but they'll have chances going right. forward. Yeah, and then the coaches poll. Uh, <laughs> so Jim Beheim has a vote here, but Syracuse did not get a single vote in the coaches. Poll. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me. Maybe he was just you know like in good faith not voting for his team. Maybe that's just like a policy that. No, no, I see, I see it as him saying this team stinks. I'm not. Wrong I mean, he's definitely that. he never shies away from, <laughs> you know, banging bashing his own team. Um, but <laughs> that is uh, funny. Little uh, little Duke shirt, Cuse uh, Cuse talk. Um, so we had a post. Yeah, on... so the Duke game's about two weeks away now, and they are twenty one and two storming in. It's gonna be a big one that game. Do you have your tickets? Yeah, I got my tickets ready. Oh, uh, perfect. I don't know. I don't know if you saw the T shirt. So actually, John Casillo. I did. He wrote a little note about the T shirt, and I, I just want to give a quick update about this. So for those of you that know about this. Um, John Casillo wrote the article, and he mentioned how the color blues weren't even looking like accurate blues when it came to Duke's colors, right? But I can confirm, after having seen them in person, that they are pretty accurate blue. Like, they're like that Duke Royal or Dark Royal light navy sort of thing. You know what I'm talking about? It's not Royal, but it's not I know what you're talking about. Um, The the, the away jerseys, pretty much, right? Right, yeah, so... The the blue is better than I thought it would be, but it's still a bad shirt, man. <laughs> so so Syracuse. So these are Syracuse shirts. Yes, and they're blue, and they're Duke blue. Yeah, so it says cold out and sold out, and then it says uh, beat Duke. I think. What's what sense does that? It's gonna make it look like this Duke fan standing in the crowd, people wearing those. Well, it's the, gonna... <laughs> they are orange shirts. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then they just have the... Oh, so the, the text is blue. Right. The type yeah. is, like, uh, Duke blue, though. It's, I mean... That would have been that would have been something if the shirts were blue. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, so, yeah, those shirts, uh, not as bad as we thought they were. Um, the official Bayheim jacket toss tracker, I don't know if we mentioned this on last show. Uh, Kevin uh, Wall- I, I will say about the shirts, not a big fan of 
what is it sold out because it's what cold <laughs> cold out and sold out oh god <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that's a that's a d to yeah, me yeah it's not not great uh Kevin Wall on the website launched the official Be- Jim Beheim jacket toss tracker. Uh, yeah. Coming into this week, Syracuse was 4-2 on the season. Uh, Jim Beheim did toss his jacket in the BC win, so Syracuse improves to 5-2 and two, uh, when Jim Beheim throws his jacket. Any notes? Yeah, and he looked he, he looked disheveled in the press conference. I went back and watched it last night. The tie was undone. The shirt was all wrinkled. The jacket was nowhere to be found. I don't. I didn't even see when the jacket went off. But he was animated throughout the game. He was f- freaking out at Chukwu for dropping rebounds. Passes were flying all over the place into the crowd. It was it was definitely a jacket co- toss kind of game. And amazing that. Syracuse built a 20-point lead through all that. <laughs> right. You know what's funny is that I feel like the jacket gets tossed, and now we're looking for trends, right? The jacket gets tossed more often when Syracuse is a favorite and starts playing down to its competition rather than Syracuse, you know, fumbling away a victory against a good team, perhaps. Yeah. So that's probably why these wins are coming, because <laughs> these are teams they should be beaten for, from the outset, and then they wrap around and get it done anyway. Right, maybe we got to put the theory to test though, and just have Beheim start tossing his jacket, you know, <laughs> against Duke and UNC, see if it can bring us any good luck. <laughs> I wonder if there's an ideology to when the jacket gets tossed. Yeah. We gotta ask him. Yeah. Um, so the Jerry West, uh, Jerry West finalists, uh, which is for the top shooting guard in the country, Tyus Battle makes the cut. Um, he's among uh, other players such as Phil Booth of Villanova, Kyle Guy of Virginia, and R.J. Barrett of Duke. Yeah, so Battle is still up there among the best of the best in the country. That's what we know from this one. It's too bad that Barrett's also in the conversation because I was looking at the names right before we got on here, and I'm like, oh, Booth, Guy, he's right in the middle. Oh, Barrett's on yeah. there. So <laughs> if we're... Hopefully he can get a runner-up. You know, I feel the way about this the same way I kind of feel about the ACC Player of the Year, and I, I do believe Battle's in that race as well if we're talking you know, who's going to be the MVP of the conference. It's going to be Zion, but if we're talking runner-up race, I give Battle a chance just because of how important he's shown to be to the Orange. And again... I think that BC game's a game that they don't win without him. Right, and this kind of comes down to like a whole uh, most valuable player versus best player award, and most of these go to the best player at the given positions. But if you're talking, well, Zion's Zion's a little bit of both, I'd say, because you know Duke wouldn't fall off too much without him, but he's the reason that twenty-one and two world beaters, probably the best team in the country. Right. So I, I give a little bit of credit to that as well, and. Battle's more in the range where, yeah, he's clearly not the best player in the conference, but he might be the guy, if you take him off a team, that they drop off the most. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, where would Syracuse be without Ty's battle? But um, nonetheless, uh, Weekly Newsletter, that launched uh, about a week and a half ago now um, on the website on Noons Magician. I signed up. Yeah, I'm signed up as well. And the first one came out real clean. Um, and then like a lot of good stuff in there. Like if you just want your information packed up and just set a nice reading cue for yourself, uh, weekly newsletters where it's at, um, yeah, lots of stuff's going on. The dome's filled between recruiting and basketball and lacrosse just got started. So there's going to be a lot going on on that main site. You want it all packaged into a nice email. Right. Definitely. So make sure you're signing up for that over at noonsmagician.com and, uh, and that'll get us kicked off, uh, get us really deep diving into these games now. Um, so we'll, yeah. So that Florida state one, 
That was a tough one to process because I think you had the best stretch we've they've had all season when it came to that comeback. They showed me so much in that comeback that they pulled off uh, at the end of the first half. But then you also have the downsides of this one. They gave up a ton of points. They couldn't break 62. And worst of all, Frank Howard is still in that funk. He can't get out of the inconsistency that he's played with this year. And Bayheim really went on on him and Chukwu, but it was really focused on Howard. And I was talking to guys after the game, and I wrote a little story after. Everybody said pretty much the same thing. They, they weren't getting down on Howard, but they were saying, yeah, this is a guy we can't win without. Right, yeah. So the first uh, 14 minutes of the first half, FSU went out on a 36-14 to 14 run, mm-hmm. which is horrible. And then what changed in those final six minutes was Frank Howard leaving the floor. Now, I'm not saying, I mean, this is more, I'm not saying. There was two factors. Howard leaving the floor was big. O'Shea Brissett started settling himself down around the rim, and he just poured it in on their interior. He was awesome in that game. Yeah, so Syracuse closes the half on a 17-3 run. Tyus had nine of those 17, and he was running point guard. The lineup on the floor was Battle, Bayheim, Hughes, Brissett, and Dolajai. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, we're coming to see that lineup uh, being consistently successful as of late, uh, even in the Boston College game. Yeah, and they ran Dolajai at center pretty much all of BC because Chukwu didn't have it again. Awful week for Chukwu, yeah. who is who had bounced back in the weeks before that with some nice rebounding games in the Duke game, which was pretty much the game of his life. But as far as now goes, I think... The job should probably go back to Dolajai because that lineup's been amazing for them. He's their secondary passer. He was still making great passes in that BC game. He hit a three in the midst of their big run against BC as well. And he didn't put in a ton of points against Florida State, but I thought he played a pretty solid one in that one too. He he ended up just uh, with a steal and four rebounds, some offensive rebounds, a block, a steal. Yeah, so he was solid against Florida State, good against BC, I'd say. And if Chuku was giving you nothing as he has these past few games, it, you gotta you gotta put in the best guy at center. Right, especially on the defensive end of the floor. If Chuku is like obviously we're, we're not expecting anything of Chuku on the offensive end. We just we only need him to lock in on defense, you know, and then grab those boards, hold teams to one possession, and be a menace around the basket. And he hasn't even been that as of late. So why not just put Dolajai in there? I did a I did a deep dive on this, a little analysis earlier this season, um, talking about mm-hmm. the defensive impact. And while I think that the defensive impact is probably greater than the numbers that I used would suggest, I mean Dolajai is just so much better on the offensive end of the floor, man. Like the offense is significantly better with the threat that he poses on, like to pass the ball and just to step out and space the floor. It would be interesting against a bigger team coming up, you know, Duke's a bigger team, uh, NC State's certainly bigger than BC, BC's probably one of the smaller teams in the conference, and Bayheim said that, you know, we could get away with Dolajai playing in there for long stretches against that team, right. and both their bigs got hurt in that yeah. game too, which was interesting. So they they got away with it there, and I thought he looked phenomenal in the rebounding game, more better than he usually does, so that might have been why it looked that way, but... You know, Chukwu needs to rebound. He needs to block shots. Those are the two things he has to do out there, and he can't turn the ball over. He got an offensive rebound on the other side of the court, and just he was standing on the baseline and threw it out of bounds. He dropped a bunch of rebounds out of bounds. Beheim was just 
furious with the way he played in that BC game, and it showed with the minutes he played in the end. So, I mean, you know, it's nice having Dolajai off the bench so he can shift from that Howard starting lineup into that battle Dolajai's second unit, per se. But you just got to play the best guys at this point. And even if you're going to be running six men, which it looks like this team is doing at this point with no Sidibe, no Jalen Carey, you gotta you gotta go with your best five, even if they're gonna be playing most of the game. Right. Yeah, and you know what? That really bit uh, Syracuse in the butt in the FSU game in particular because, like Syracuse, I mean for good reason was out of steam in the second half. So the teams played pretty evenly matched to open the second half, right? And the game was hanging around a five five or so point game uh, until about ten minutes left in the second half when FSU went on a twelve zero run. Um, over a four yeah, and <laughs> and what really was the difference there is Hamilton called a timeout at nine minutes, which was this really settled this team down. It looked like the movement they got out of timeout. I was talking to him after the game, and he was talking about the movement that they started playing with right after that. Just completely ripped up the zone. But most of all, the guy we talked about in the preview episode a ton, Cabenjale. He ripped them to shreds over oh. that stretch, over that twelve nothing run. He had how many points? Six, eight of them, eight of the yeah. twelve. And he shot four or four he, from he, three too. Yeah, so he came out and hit a pair of threes on the wings. Nice cut to the rim. He put back a shot that PJ Savoy missed that he tipped right in, and that was pretty much the game right there. They put together a twelve nothing run in just a few minutes after that timeout. And here's the thing: if you put yourself down. I think it was 21, the way Syracuse did in that first half. Even if you get right within striking distance and they got within two points, you got to be ready to take the next blow that the team's going to throw back at you, and they they didn't have the energy to do that. Yeah, and that guy, Cabendule, Cabin Gilly, I, I don't know how to say his name. But he's he's an NBA Yeah, I wish, I wish, man. yeah. He's six foot ten. what? Or wait, no, he's seven foot. Is he seven foot? Yeah, six, six ten. And he's, what, like 230? And this dude yeah. is—he's uh, got soft touch from the outside, and he could body up in the paint, man. Like he—he's for real. Everybody, everybody's looking for that next Draymond Green, and he definitely has that body type. So keep an eye on him. I, I mean, Beheim was talking about him after the game and said he—he he doesn't even play a lot. He's their best player, and he doesn't play a ton of their minutes. So he ended up playing 28, and there were two guys who played more than him, and. A walker was just the same amount of minutes, and he was saying, you know, if this guy's playing 35, imagine what he could right. put up. Yeah, so only four players score for Syracuse in this one. You had Battle, Brissett, Hughes, and Buddy Beheim. Uh, Frank Howard, as we mentioned earlier, 14 minutes, uh, three turnovers, didn't get into the box score, uh, no, no points, no assists, no uh, rebounds. Yeah, Hughes is the one I'm looking at. Four turnovers, four twelve. We've talked a lot about whether opponents are starting to figure him out with the extended film that's coming out on him. I think teams are saying if he gets the ball in his hands, let him put it on the ground because he has not made a lot of plays on the dribble right. this year. He's taken threes, spotting up, and cutting to the rim off other guys, and that's pretty much been his game. So teams are saying if we, if this guy puts it on the floor, we're going to have a chance for a turnover, and the turnovers killed the Orange this week. Thirteen, I mean, 19 against Florida State. They had 13 against BC. Not great totals. You want to be right. under 10. And we were kind of comparing Elijah Hughes to a Malachi Richardson type uh, earlier this season, and I think what we're seeing now is Hughes is more limited in terms of uh, his driving, as you just said, um, 
Yeah, I remember Malachi driving a lot. You don't see it as right. much. Right, Malachi was. really had a nice. Uh, he was physical around the rim, and Hughes. That's going to be something that he's going to need to work on uh, going forward um, this off season, probably. Uh, yeah, I mean, as he's losing it a little bit, though, Brissett's getting it back. So there is a little trade off there that they're dealing with. Because I thought Brissett had a nice week. He's starting to get within himself. Rebounding's been nice for him. Twelve against BC. Yeah. So he's he's getting around the rim, blocking shots. He's he's been good. Right, yeah, this week. sixteen and twelve for Brissett in the FSU game, uh, which was his second straight double double. And then I think he gets mm-hmm. his third against Boston. Yeah, he does get his third against Boston College. Twelve and twelve. So yeah. thir- three straight uh, double doubles going for Brissett. Nice little. I mean, yeah. Well, one player takes a dip. You know, another one's kind of picking it up. Um, and then obviously Tyus Battle carried the team in this one, and then they ran out of gas. But I think that's enough on the FSU game. You think we got it covered? Yeah, tough loss. You know, it, it was a chance for a quartile one win at home, which you'd love to get. Florida State's really making its cases an at-large team. They're certainly going to be in there the season they're having, despite their slow start. And this was a big win for them in their own right, as it was a tough loss for the Orange. Uh, bounce back against BC, though, so you want to talk yeah, about that right so now? So Syracuse wins 67-56, to 11-point um, win for Syracuse, 11 points was the line that it opened up on, so Vegas actually wins wins uh, all here. Um, some people got it at 10.5, yeah. and, and so if you took Syracuse, they covered for you. Congratulations. Um, slow start for... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they made it scary, did. though. And we'll, <laughs> slow start for both teams. Um, I think it was 5-1 to one, uh, through five minutes of play to open the game. It was some ugly basketball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, turnovers were flying everywhere in this one start to finish. Even Dolajai, some of the passes he was whipping around were uncharacteristic of him. And what really stuck out in the sloppiness department, and this was just a sloppy, sloppy game, definitely uh, what you'd expect a 2 o'clock Saturday one to look like, the rebounds that these teams were dropping out of bounds right under the basket, Chukwu in particular, but Dolaj had a bad one too. I, I couldn't believe it. it there was like really like no excuse for some of the balls they were losing out of bounds yeah, around the it rim. Yeah, was uh, uh, a really frustrating game to watch. I mean, like you could tell that Syracuse was the better team for the most uh, – well, I mean, Syracuse is the better team on the floor. However, like, you know, Popovic went down, um, and then their other big guy, yeah, Mitchell. Stefan Mitchell, who's had a yeah, great Mitchell year for down. them. Um, and then it was like all Syracuse had to do was keep driving, the, driving to the basket, and Boston College had no interior presence. And then Syracuse hops out to a 20-point lead, and then all hell broke loose. Yeah, and <laughs> Bayheim was phenomenal throughout that first stretch because the team wasn't scoring. They they were playing the defense they needed to. They were had the lead, but they weren't getting the points they needed to get ahead. So Bayheim went in and hit some deep, deep threes, cutting around some screens. He hit four in this one. Even got to the rim a little bit inside and. Howard had another game where he wasn't off the bench as much, one for nine, 21 minutes. So Bayheim jumps in again, takes the minutes at the two next to battle at the one, and he was brilliant. And I'm saying this as one of the great stories of this season. We, we went into this year thinking, oh, Bayheim might help a little bit, come in and hit some threes. At this juncture of the season, he's becoming one of their most important players. He's one of their go-to scorers night in and night out if he gets an inch of space on that three-point line you expect him to drill it and he has he's still is he is he still above 50 percent three-point shooting in acc play i'd imagine so after a four for five game yeah he is 
So, like, this guy has changed the dynamic of this team. And Dolajai's hitting the threes, too. They were both part of that big run that got them up 20. I'm blown away by what Beheim's brought to this team this year. And loose balls, too, which is something Beheim complained about after the game. This is the older Beheim. He, he didn't like this team team's ability to get to those loose balls in this one. But I saw Beheim getting to the ground again and again going after those. And he was just the most active player on the team in this yeah, game. Yeah, three steals. Three yeah. steals for Buddy. Uh, three steals for Tyus as well. And, and we were saying this in the preview episode. He is a better defender than people realize. Yeah, he's been he's been playing well in the defensive end, and I'm I'm more and more impressed with his ability to put the ball in the deck, uh, because as teams are you know scouting him the same way that they're scouting Hughes, they're saying make this guy put the ball on the floor, um, and he showed a bit of uh, I don't I don't want to say competency because that kind of takes a knock at his ability there, but yeah. he showed competency right like he did put it on the deck a couple times drove. Uh, to the lane, passed it out most of the time. I think he took one kind of wacky shot in the paint, which was uh, kind of ugly. Um, but yeah, but he's at least showing that he's capable of doing that, you know? Yeah, his de- his development has been rapid. And maybe he's another guy that teams just haven't seen a whole lot of so far, so they get a key in on that film that's developing of him, and they'll have a better approach of taking him on. But when you're playing this team with all these slashers, you're trying to pack in the paint to look out for battle flying in, and Brissett's a guy who's going to come downhill at you, and Hughes is always hanging out there on the wings, so he's another guy who's a threat as a shooter. If Dolajai's out there, he's going to be cutting and shooting. It's hard to put in put a ton of defensive attention to Bayheim, so he gets space out there, and he doesn't need much to drill it. So he has made this team, up along with there with... Hughes and Dolajai, the three of them have made this a shooting team this year, but he's the guy putting up the threes in volume and drilling them. I mean, four for five is no joke of a three-point shooting game. Right, yeah, Buddy Beheim looks great, and another um, another point to make here on Buddy as we, you know, uh, talk about his prospects going forward, I think that as Buddy develops his on-ball uh, his ball handling, you know, just being strong with it and not losing it. Um, that's going to be such an important piece to the offense because then he can be the the shooting guard that can also – that isn't just a spot-up shooter, right? And he can, yeah. he can yeah. use the steals and hit shots off that dribble, um, which will be really nice to take the weight off of Ty's battle who is carrying the load when Buddy Beheim's out on the floor because Tyus needs to create – uh, essentially himself. You know, Tyus Battle's the only one that is, a, like, above-average ball handler out of the guards uh, when it's him, Battle, or him, uh, Buddy Beheim and, uh, uh, excuse me, Elijah Hughes. And what, what stuck out to me most from Beheim's game was in the threes, but he had a very nice play that he missed at the rim where he was at the top of the arc with the ball in his hands, like you just said. He's setting up this set a little bit, hands it off to Dolajai, and then takes a dip right to the basket and got all around the defense. Dolajai looped it right into him, and he just missed at the rim. Some help defense came back in at the last second, but it was a nice, crafty give-and-go. This team, its playmaking is phenomenal up and down the roster, which is something you just never could have imagined after last year so Bayheim in a sloppy game in a game that they nearly blew that would have just been like oh where's the season going if they drop this one 
he he saved them big time with the double figure scoring, with the defensive pace he gave them. It still stinks to see Howard out of the fold the way he is right now, but if Bayheim's picking up the slack on the other end, you can still win games. And isn't it isn't it crazy to think that with all the gripes we have about this team and we're complaining week in and week out and you know what's going on with this team? They're eight and three in conference. I know. They're top five in the conference. Like they are still getting it done despite their issues. Yeah, and it, you know the eight and three. Obviously, we'll talk. We could talk about scheduling. We have talked about scheduling. Mm. Uh, but eight and three is eight and three, man. We're, Syracuse is two wins away from double digits, obviously, and three wins away from where we feel real comfortable about our NCAA tournament hopes. You know, and with uh, with what seven games left. Syracuse mm-hmm. can go. Syracuse can finish under 500 and still be where the, we need the team to be uh, come Selection Sunday. If we're comparing it to last year, at this time, I mean they were an eight and ten in conference play period last year. Right. So they've already matched that this season. The wor- the toughest is yet to come, so that's certainly an objection to that record at this point. And I think some other teams are feeling the pain of a tougher earlier schedule than what the Orange have felt. So we'll see how they stack up against some of the competition to come. It's about to get really tough. But there still are some games that they should win mixed in with those tougher ones down the stretch, like Wake Forest and Clemson. Right. So I think you can at least expect 10 out of this team. Yeah, and... One last note on the Boston College game. Uh, if I can, if I can just you know say my piece here, is that so Syracuse uh, broke its own record of on-campus attendance. Uh, in, yeah, in I game. was stunned with the crowd, weren't you? Even for a Saturday, you expect more people to turn out, but they packed the dome for this. One. I was I was happy with the crowd size, but here's my gripe: the crowd was just complacent. See, mm. The crowd was totally out of the game. No energy being given to the team. And Jim Beheim, I don't know if he just said this, you know, to be the good <laughs> guy. So I'll give I'll give Jim Beheim credit. I, I I don't know if he's being serious here. Uh when he said the fans have been awesome all season. Because I don't know about from your vantage point, from my vantage point, the dome was quiet for the majority of the day. And it took it, was. it took Syracuse playing extremely well, breaking open to twenty points. For the crowd to even get into it at all, there was no it, energy from the stadium. It reflected the game. Everybody was asleep, getting going slow on a Saturday, and everyone wanted to go because you don't have work, you don't have school, but no one was awake. Yeah, was, <laughs> no one from the players to the stadium, and it was it was hilarious. And I, I do want to get to some awards now. I think now's a good time with that crowd interaction piece because. I do want to give Beheim an award because he he threw the PR line out there about, you know, we have great fans, da-da-da-da-da, everybody's got to say that, that's what they tell you to say. But when we saw how he really felt about the fans when he was on the sideline, there was about one thirty left. Beheim, buddy this is, had the ball on the right wing because, you know, Jim doesn't play. And everybody's telling them to shoot because he's hit four threes, he's on fire, da 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 and he's wide open and everybody behind Bayheim and the benches shoot 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 and Bayheim, the coach I've never seen him do this he turns around gets in like a full-on spat with this group of fans right behind the bench I don't know what he said I, if I was down there reporting I would have went and asked the fans after but Apparently, <laughs> him in the I got I got some inside sources that said hey let me do the coaching 
<laughs> All right. Yeah, so the, he says, hey, let me do the coaching per sources. Then he turns around, but before he's back into the game, he turns around one more time and just gives him that little disgusted hand wave, like, get out of here. <laughs> so that, I, that man has a family award. I'm going to take in a different direction this week because – Bayheim dunked on the crowd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jim Jim Bayheim gets to that man has a family award. I like that one. Um I'll come I'll come around uh I'll give my the milk carton award. Uh last week we gave it to Elijah Hughes, I believe. Yeah, yeah. we gave that to Elijah Hughes. This week it's going to uh Frank Howard. Uh Frank had another rough week. Uh I love you Frank. I know you're uh, an avid listener of Talking Orange and uh <laughs> Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. Uh, podcasts in general, but uh, Frank, I gotta, I gotta say, your play this week, you know, didn't do it for us. Uh, we need more out of our senior point guard. Um, you know, wouldn't have been able to tell uh, that he was on the floor if it weren't for his three turnovers. Uh, at least when you looked in the box score, you know, against uh, Florida State, and the team needs more, man. Uh, don't know if it's injury related, but let's hope he can turn it around. He says it's not. Beheim says it's not. At this point, we're so far removed from it that it can't possibly be at least that initial injury. Maybe he's, maybe he's banged up in some other way that we don't know about, and that happens a lot. After the season, we find out some of these guys were more banged up than we thought they were. It's been tough. The directional isn't there. Beheim says he's not able to get by, guys, and that's a big reason he can't play right now. So he needs that old burst back. He needs the elevation on his three. He can't be turning the ball over, which is a problem he's faced his whole career. And it's tough to watch him go through this because you want him and battle out there on the floor together. That's when they're at their best defensively. When Howard's scoring, he's one of the three best scorers on this team still, I say. We saw it in the second half against Duke. They need Frank Howard to get this team to where they need to be in March. Can they get through this regular season without him running this battle lineup, playing Buddy Bayheim a lot? Probably. Can they do it in March? I doubt it. Yeah. Um... You wanna you wanna go with your next award, or you want me to take it? Take the take the last one. We'll round it out with me. All right. So my next award, and uh, and I really thought hard about this name. Uh, it's called the "It's Going to Be Fun When the Rest of the ACC Hates You" award, and that one obviously goes to Buddy Beheim. Uh, I I think someone tweeted it out. It might have been Dan Lyons, uh, but whoever it did, credit to these guys. Um, yeah. It, it brings me joy thinking about how other ACC fans are going to hate Buddy Beheim for being such a killer, right, when it comes to just sniping from behind the three-point line, and then obviously he develops into a better player, but being his being Jim Beheim's son um, and hopefully just crushing teams with his three-point shooting, uh, that's going to be a lot of fun in the coming years, and I'm looking we forward already- to it. We already saw a bit of a preview of it. It was either the Pitt game or the Virginia Tech game. The fans were given Uh, the instructions to call him Daddy's Boy, and they were digging into him for that during the game. And it wasn't bad. You know, I don't think a lot of people still know who he is at this point. It's still, you know, is that Beheim's son? Is that one of my friends? Actually, I was walking down from the crowd after the game, and one of the one of my friends that I know was like, "Is that Beheim's son or 
Graham's grandson. <laughs> so people still don't know 100% who he is. They will soon. And then that's, that's where we're going to see the heat uh, seep in on him. <laughs> All right, here, finish this up, man. All right, so my final award is going to be the finesse award, which we gave to Jerry McNamara for the kickout call last week. This week I'm giving it to Marek because smooth as butter – he brought the ball up on one of the plays against F- or against BC and led Hughes right from the corner all the way to the basket on a backdoor cut. But he didn't call this on the half court. He was calling this out from like the dribble right out of the back court line as before he crossed half court. So he's got the arm waving. He's leaning Hughes towards the basket, and right when he gets across half court, throws the feed right into him for the smooth assist and bucket inside. Point center, man. You've been hey. calling it all year. This guy needs a lot of minutes because of his passing, and that's still his best attribute. Yeah, former point guard Marek Dolezal. Uh, <laughs> he ta- he's talked about that before, uh, playing point so, guard overseas. So he, he brings this from his past experience, right? So that that's interesting because I'm wondering where he got it from. Like, this guy's just so polished. No one really knew about him coming overseas. Yeah. It, it blew my mind that he's able to do this, but he used to play point guard, huh? Yeah, he said that... Uh, just the best – I mean, when you're overseas, it's kind of like the, you want the ball in the hands of whoever your best player is uh, yeah. when the talent level isn't as high. And Marek was the best player, so he got the ball. <laughs> He'd bring it up. And even as a, even as the tallest player on the floor, as he, as he was saying, um, he, was, he was the point guard because he was the most skilled player out there. And it's great. You see when he's passing out of the high post, you want a guy that tall making your passes if he can because he's just able to see over everything, especially when teams are zoning. Uh, he's able to get over that back line and feed some passes in there, tough passes too. So he's been good. You know, he, he probably needs to take a few more shots per game, get to the rim a little bit. But he he was 2 for 5 against BC, had a big 3. I thought he was very solid in that game. 7-5, 3 and 4, two blocks. Bayheim was really high on him after that one. Right, definitely. So we're gonna we're gonna be closing out here next few minutes, but we have yep. a few more things that I just want to blaze through really fast. All right, you ready? It's for gonna this? be a short week. It is. Yeah. It's gonna be a short week. So let's just get a bunch of points out real quick. Jalen Carey uh, tweeted out a bunch of deuces emojis uh, following the game. Soon they were quickly deleted. Um, like the peace out emoji sort of thing, you know, yeah. the two fingers. And he up. liked one of your tweets as well, and didn't he? Did, he? He did like one of my tweets where I said uh, something along the lines of how much would it pain Jim Beheim to give Jalen Carey just three minutes. So um, just a social media awareness. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be Carey's PR guys here. Uh, not a great look because people will see what's going on on social media, uh, especially, yeah. you know, degenerates like us that like to follow this sort of drama. But, um, Carrie, we love you, man. Uh, stick through this, please. Uh, we know you listen to the show. Um, uh, hey, we're big fans of you. Uh, sh- the show is yours next year, um, and it's tough. Uh, you know, some Syracuse point guards have gone through cool. this before as freshmen. Um, and I don't know, you got anything to say? Cooler heads need to prevail on both sides of this one because – does he need more minutes than nothing, which is pretty much what he has right now? Certainly. Especially if you're cutting back on Howard's minutes. You can't be relying on Battle to run the point all game long. Carey probably fits in there somewhere. I mean, he's had a tough year as far as turnovers go, as far as providing much offensively at all, but he really hasn't gotten the opportunity for great stretches of these games. The tricky part is they're facing the toughest part of the schedule coming up, and he's been out of the flow for so right. long. It's tough to integrate him at yeah, this and point. As we saw now, on Carrie's, now, on Carrie's end, 
you're the point guard next year. You said it. You said it right there, Dylan. He's the starter next year by any stretch of the imagination. Howard Washington will be mixing in with him, but there's not a lot of competition there. Bryson Gadeen, maybe. Um, I'm yeah, not sure how much he plays bit. that I mean, ball. But I, I think it's pretty clear that he'll be the starter next year. So you got to stick through it because you know there's going to be a transfer year off if you go elsewhere. Right. And, you know, you don't knock him if he, if he doesn't like you here at Syracuse. And certainly go to what's best for you. But if you're just talking basketball, you're not going to be starting anywhere else next year. Yeah, and I know he, he probably thinks that he's more deserving of playing time. Carry this is. Um, and he probably is, however, Jim Beheim's known to start cutting the rotation, especially as we get deeper and deeper into the season. Last year, uh, Beheim was playing just seven players, or maybe even six at by the very end of the season, right? So the, Yeah, he, remember we, we could go into this year thinking 9-10? Yeah, right, we're already down to 6-7 at yeah, most. Yeah, part of the reason why he's not getting minutes is because Ty's battle has been so great and been, been able to step up and take on uh, some, of the, uh, some of the load at the... Um, at the point guard position, and because Tyus Battle has been stepping up like this, it's no knock on Jalen Carey for not getting the minutes. Tyus Battle has just been doing more than we could have ever expected. Uh, yeah, and Carey himself had to step up earlier and grab those minutes. He had two good games. He played about 10 to 12 early on in the season and didn't bring much in any of those. So, you know, you got to earn your minutes as well. Right. So, quick question uh, coming in from Kevin Wall at KWallQs on Twitter. Um, fellow Noons Magician writer, he said, how will a struggling Syracuse offense handle the upcoming stretch of games? Bobby, you want to take this? I I think they'll be able to shoot their way through it as far as points go. They're going to be above 60 in these games, which I know is a low bar, but for a team that used to be scoring 50 regularly, high 50s, you're glad they're in the 60 range now just because of that extra shooting. This battle lineup... More of that's probably going to help them in the offensive stretch of things. They just need to be able to control the pace of some of these games. And we have talked about pace a little bit. It worked in their favor against BC. The transition game was excellent in that one. That FSU one, I know it wasn't possession for possession count, a high pace game. Mostly because I think the last five, six minutes were just throwaways after FSU took the game. So the greater stretch of that game where both of the runs were happening, it was just a maddening pace, and I think that worked in Florida State's favor. Syracuse is still a team defensively that I think benefits from having fewer possessions per game. Yeah, for sure. And uh, shooting, as you said, definitely has been helping uh, keep this offense afloat. Uh, but as we get deeper, Syracuse is going to need to make sure it doesn't have stretches like it did against Boston College when BC went on that 14-0 to run. And, you know, Syracuse uh, doesn't have the offense to just stall out uh, because Syracuse gets pretty deep into the shot clock as it is uh, without without yeah. waiting until then. And then uh, as Syracuse waits, you know, we, we end up with really bad shots, and that's how you go six minutes without scoring a single point. So what do you know about NC State? Uh, what up I know about Wednesday? NC State is uh, that they're a really fast-paced scoring team. Oh, uh, God. They <laughs> like to play a pace. They have a sweet-looking court uh, with their mascot in the middle of it. I don't even know what their mascot really is. Um, Last time Syracuse went down there was the John Gillen 40-point game, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Syracuse, uh, they won that one, right? Yeah, so that Wolfpack so. mascot in the middle of the floor, that thing's sweet. Uh, they they had like some kind of barn burner game against UNC earlier this season that was 100 to 90. Then, as you and I both saw, um, they also <laughs> they scored like 24 points <laughs> in a game. 
Yeah, it was 24. I keep saying 27, but it was even worse. It was 24. So I've never seen anything like that. They shot 13% from three, I believe, in that one, and just like over 20% from the field. That gives me hope that Syracuse can win this one. There's nothing rational. It's just if, if a team can be held to that, Syracuse is going to right. try yeah, to come so close. They were coming off three straight losses, just beat Pitt on the road 79-76. to 76. Uh, They'll play Syracuse at the Dome, or no, I'm sorry, in Raleigh uh, on Wednesday. Um, yeah. So that game is at 8 p.m. I don't know if, where it's being broadcasted. ACC Network, so probably your Raycom affiliate or Raycom TV. Uh, so anyway, yeah. that'll do it for this show. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. I'm Dylan Fondner, at Define31 on Twitter, with my co-host Bobby Manning, at RealBobManning on Twitter. You can also follow the blog, at Noon's Magician. Follow our podcast, at Talkin' Orange. Bobby, you got any last notes? Uh, shout out to Kai Bowman. Amazing at the Dome again. So much fun to watch. He's going to be a great NBA player. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to watch. It, you know, he's a, he's a treat. I know a lot of Syracuse fans hate him, but we went 2-0 against them this year, so let's appreciate how good he was uh, because we beat him. If not, we could be angry. <laughs> All right. Till next All week, right. everybody. All right. Till next week, and let's go Orange. At Jared. We know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.